so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me in the studio is myself, because if you tuned in last week... You heard that Brent was going to be out in Washington, D.C. for the Stand for Life event. And then that also coincides with the annual March for Life, which thankfully this year is not happening during the 50th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision, but is in celebration that amazingly, by God's grace, that decision has been overturned and abortion is no longer legal throughout our land. So we are definitely celebrating that But I do want to mention, uh, Brent's not here to defend himself, but since he is not physically in the studio, this will probably be a much shorter recording time for me and for our audio producer. So I'm going to kick us off with a few things that the ERLC has been talking about this week. And then for the remainder of the show, you're going to hear an interview that Brent recently did with Pastor John Nelson, and it is an interview that you don't want to miss, so stay tuned. First up on ERLC.com, in light of Sanctity of Life Sunday that's happening this Sunday throughout churches in the SBC, and in light of the March for Life that's happening, we have a couple of pieces about pro-life issues. And this first piece I love, it's by our colleague, Kaden Christian, and it's titled, Helping Single Moms Choose Life and Education, an interview about the Momentum Network. We have featured a similar type of organization out of Auburn University, but this particular ministry is faith-based, and it is based in Tennessee, and they help single moms who find themselves with an unplanned pregnancy, or maybe they already have a child, they enable them to choose life and to be able to move forward with their college education. So as you might imagine— If you're a single mom and you have an unplanned pregnancy, you have dreams of a future and dreams of an education and the provision that that education may allow you to have, you may not be able, whether it be because of a lack of relational resources or a lack of finances or whatever it might be, no childcare, you might not be able to move forward with your college education. So there are many women who feel like They cannot have a child and an education at the same time. But this ministry, led by Kara Hicks, who herself experienced an unplanned pregnancy just before graduating high school, this ministry seeks to equip these mamas so that they can get this education and then be able to provide for themselves and for their children. This organization is an example of what putting hands and feet to our pro-life convictions might look like. 
And I would encourage you to check out this article, read about this incredible ministry, and then pray about how you can be involved in something like this that already exists or how the Lord might use you and the people around you to start something similar in your community. Our next article is by our friend Ashlyn Portero. Ashlyn was on staff at a church in Tallahassee, Florida, and she was an excellent asset to that staff. And she's now in London serving in ministry. And this article is about five small pro-life steps churches can take. And through her experience with her church in Florida, through her experience with various church members who were involved in pro-life ministries, and through her experience at pro-life conferences and at the March for Life in D.C., she has written down some steps that every individual could take in order to advance a pro-life mindset and heart in your church. Whether you are a pastor, whether you're a ministry leader, whether you're a lay leader, whether you are involved in your community, you don't have to feel like you have to organize a national march for life in order to proclaim that every individual has innate worth and dignity because they are created in God's image. Instead, you can take small steps that the Lord will use to proclaim this truth and hopefully by the work of His Spirit to develop a heart for the most vulnerable and the smallest among us throughout your church and throughout your community. Now, as I previously mentioned in the intro, we're going to feature an interview between Brent Leatherwood and John Nelson. John is a pastor at Soma Community Church. He is a friend of the ERLC. He's a husband. He's a father. He was the first Black Missouri Baptist VP, and he is an all-around great guy. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. Brent and John are going to talk about a variety of issues, but focusing in on racial unity, how the Southern Baptist Convention can perpetuate and live out a biblical ethic of racial unity in our churches and in our lives so that, as the Lord says in His Word, people will know that we are disciples of Jesus by our love for one another. Hello there. I'm Brent Leatherwood, president of your Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And today, I wanted to invite you to be a part of a conversation I'm having here with my brother, John Nelson, uh, the immediate past president of the Missouri Baptist Convention. John is a pastor at Soma Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. And so, John, I just wanted to, to talk to you a little bit uh, about your experience uh, as a brother in Christ, uh, as a pastor of a local church, and then as president of the Missouri Baptists. Hey, everyone. My name is John Nelson. I'm the past president of the Missouri Baptist Convention, a pastor of Soma Community Church, but most importantly, I'm the father of four children and a husband to my beautiful wife, Heather. We reside in Jefferson City, Missouri, and I get to be here today with you. All right, so John, uh, welcome, first of all, here to Tennessee, which, as you know, is really the epicenter of the barbecue universe. Ah. And I just wanted to know, how does that land with you as a, as a citizen from Kansas oh, City? Not good at all. Not good at all. There's only two types of barbecue I trust, which is Kansas City and Memphis. Outside of that, right. everything else is a little bit sketch. Well, can you—absolutely. Yeah, uh, can, you, uh, can you give uh, our audience just a sense? You know, you grew up in Kansas City. How did your upbringing there kind of spur you into ministry? What are some of those life lessons that you learned growing up in Kansas City? Man, there's so many. Um, so I'm a first-generation American. Now, on my father's side, so he's from Jamaica. Um, I've learned a lot from uh, growing up in a Christian home, uh, but I actually wasn't a Christian myself, so I lived most of my life as an atheist mm. uh, until post-college, where I received Christ, grew in Christ, 
I really can't separate my call from Christ and my call to ministry. Uh, but in that, I saw so much that has taught me just to lean into uh, trouble. Uh, my father always taught me that when there is trouble, you either lean into it or it's going to catch up to you. Um, and so when I see things in ministry, when I see things in the, the church world and our denomination, I want to lean into them uh, to try to help solve them. Because if not, they're going to catch up to us eventually. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my ministry uh, uh, acumen, if you may. I, I like to look at it and attack it head on. Um, which gets me in trouble sometimes, but overall, I think it's worked out pretty well. Sure. And so you're a graduate of Midwestern Seminary, yes. and then you planted a church, Soma yes. Community Church, mm -hmm. in Jefferson City. Mm -hmm. What? Talk about that experience. What were some of the challenges that you faced there? Man, uh, so we were in Jefferson City, Missouri, under Dr. Monashenko. I was an associate pastor there, um, and I went there to learn from an older, wiser pastor than I. Uh, I, I knew when I got called to be a senior pastor that I didn't have the ideas that, and, and all the knowledge that some people that had been in ministry for years and years. And he just recently retired, and I learned so much from that man. Um, but in doing that, he, he told me from day one, find a place that you have an itch and then scratch it. My mother and my grandmother both graduated from Lincoln University, which is a school that actually is in Jefferson City. Uh, and so I went over there and learned about the BSU that I'd grown up knowing and loving and found it almost defunct. Um, I started talking to students on campus and— the assumption, especially in the black community, is you're going to go to church, you're Christian, if you may, but most of them weren't engaging their faith or growing in their faith. And we know from the statistics, the majority of students lose their faith over the four years they're in college or even if they take a couple victory laps. Um, and so in that time, I really started engaging the students and asking, how can we help you grow in Christ? And over that time, I really became convicted that we need to plant a church so people can be invited into the beauty of the local church, but at the same time— um, learn more about Christ within the college context. And that's what we try to do with our church in Soma. So let's talk a little bit about your experience as Missouri Baptist Convention president. You know, you are, I was reading before one of the, the stories about you, you were the very first African-American leader within the Missouri Baptist Convention, yes. uh, ever elected to one of the official positions. And then you became president. Uh, so you've just finished your, your time serving in, in that role. What are some of your takeaways from that experience as uh, the first black president? And like, did you feel the the weightiness of that historic moment? Yes. Uh, actually, the year I was elected president, I was supposed to give the update on a racial reconciliation commission. And um, uh, it was horrible because it came right after they elected me. So I'm in tears right. up there. You know, um, the weight of it, it weighs on me every single day. Um, most people that see me see me with these bow ties. Uh, the story behind that, and that kind of ties all into this is, one of the first conventions I ever went to, I wore a bow tie. My mother always said I would look good in bow ties, mostly because I don't have much of a neck. <laughs> and so she said, you'll, you'll, you'll love it, you'll grade it. And, and the rule that my wife and I have is if, you, if I don't get complimented on it, I don't have to wear it again. Well, it's never worked out for me. Almost 20 years of marriage, right. I always get complimented. <laughs> um, and I was sitting in Springfield, Missouri at the convention center, and I get a call mid-thing. My mom never called me at, at certain times, and I picked up the phone and found out that she had cancer stage four colon cancer, that she eventually uh, took her life. And I'm literally in this dichotomy where I'm, I'm crying in the lobby and people are, uh, are cheering me on and congratulating me for being the chair of the, uh, of the Committee on Order of Business. And part of what happened over and over and over, and I could hear my mother uh, in that moment saying, baby, don't worry about it, I'll be fine. But people kept saying, you know, we've never had somebody like you. And, and, and they were saying it in the nicest way they could, but we've never had a person of color right. in any convention. And you could tell it meant a lot, but people didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And so at that point, I said, let me lean into this, right? It goes back to, yeah. you see trouble, let's lean into it. Let's find out how do we navigate this. And there are other things that have happened around that that 
identified themselves to me that helped me to identify and know what we need to attack. Um, and so we started leaning into what does it mean to be an officer in the convention? What does it mean to be a part of our executive board? And that has led to a lot of great conversations. Uh, my wife is uh, white. She's from Iowa, uh, Muscatine, Iowa. And uh, we always laugh because we have conversations in our household that everybody else can avoid because of cultural differences, because of racial differences, ethnic, even socioeconomic differences. So we are forced to have these conversations. And part of what I try to do in the Missouri Baptist and part of what I'm saying nationwide is we're now being forced to have conversations that we've avoided for so long. So I want to be a part of that conversation and help lead those um, as we move forward. Yeah. Do, do you find that's also true in your church? As man. you're leading your church, are you helping your congregation to have some of these conversations? Oh, man, yes. And, and the cultural differences are amazing. Uh, one of the best ones, when we first started church, um, we had two what we call mothers in the church in the black church. We have two mothers of the church that are with us. And um, one young lady, she's white, she wanted to know, why do I preach so long? And then uh, a black woman came up, and she was standing right behind her and said, well, why doesn't he preach longer? And why are you always writing? Well, the white lady was taking notes, which is normal in white right. culture, take notes of your pastor. And uh, Miss Mary was shouting back at me, mm. which the other young lady was kind of frustrated with because she's like, you're always talking mid-sermon. <laughs> and you see these cultures colliding right, right there in front right of you. There. And, I, and I'm just giggling because, you know, I love it. Or I told the student the other day, she said, how long is your church? And I said, well, we go about two hours. She goes, oh, the church I grew up in is an hour. And the black students, these are all college students, they go, oh, we go for three or four. Mm -hmm. I said, I know. We cut the difference. That, that's right. what we do. We, we literally reach out. And so everything about our church literally is made to cut the difference or to lean into these cultures. So right. you may show up on a Sunday and hear all contemporary Christian. You may hear all gospel. Yeah. But the whole point is worshiping is not about you. Yeah. And see, that's where we need to get, is worship is not about you. It's about the king of kings. Mm -hmm. And so we need to lean into that and away from our culture. Um, and, and when you do that, you, you see some fruitfulness yeah. uh, about it and some beauty and some crossovers that happen all the time. It, it sounds like to me, uh, just from an outsider's perspective, you, you're doing more than, than really just splitting the difference. You're actually building that bridge. Yes. And, and that's, that's what we need our pastors to do in so many different contexts, not just across racial lines, right. but it, it, throughout their communities. So I, I'm curious— you know, I think we can acknowledge the Southern Baptist Convention has, uh, to put it mildly, a checkered past uh, when it comes to racial unity and just racial issues in general. Did that give you any hesitation before having your name nominated and, and ultimately accepting uh, the call to be an officer and then president of yes. the Missouri Baptist Convention? Uh, massively, yes. When I told my parents I was going to a Southern Baptist seminary, they tried everything they could to give me to go out. Uh, there are other seminaries in— um, in Missouri that I could have gone to. And, and I really felt convicted by the church I was at at the time and where I was going to learn more about it and, and to lean into it. You mm -hmm. know, It's hard being the bridge. It, it's hard. And, and the reason why it's hard being the bridge is because you get walked on, right? And people don't like to get walked on. They don't like to get stepped on in any way, shape, or form. But when you realize the checkered past of the SBC, when you realize what she chose to do and how she chose to do it, it should give you pause. To anybody that's thoughtful, it should give you pause. You shouldn't run headlong into it. But is she where she still is, where she still was? And if the answer is no, how do we continue to move her forward? This is the thing I loved about my dad. Um, I remember at 19 going to a, a, a predominantly white institution, K-State, Kansas State University, mm -hmm. where I went to school. And I came back, and after my freshman year, I was like the blackest kid you've ever met in my life. Like I, I've found everything. I was in the BSU. Everything was like kente cloth. It was ridiculous, yeah. right? 
I remember coming back and saying, why would you stay in America? Why wouldn't you leave? And he told me this, and I've remembered ever since. He said, because America is closer to her ideals every generation than she was when I first got here. If you look at where she started to where she is now, she's closer. She's not perfect, but she's closer. And so I'm willing to stay here and to keep that fight to get her just a step closer to the next generation. Mm. And that's the same thing I do. When I look at the SBC, does she have a checker pass? Yes. But can I get her a step closer to where she says she is? Yes. Well, how do I help her get there? Because without people that are willing to stand at the gap, willing to be stood on to get her to there, she'll never get there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, if you will, let's widen the lens uh, yeah. a little bit in this conversation and just look at the broader SBC since you're already talking about the convention. Ten years ago, uh, we elected Fred Luter as the first black president of the Southern Baptist Convention, a historic moment. It's been a decade since then. What are some of, you know, your impressions of that decade? Uh, where have we made some progress? Where do we still have a ways to go? So um, Dr. Alan Branch, uh, my ethics professor at the time, made me watch that convention as a part of class. I don't think it was actually part of my syllabus. I should go back and look. But the reason uh, he made me do it, I'm pretty sure, is because I was having discussions with him on whether or not to stay in the SBC. And I watched that election. I said, okay, I'm in. I was one foot out at that point. I really was. Um, and I said, okay, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm willing. If he's, if he's willing to go through what he's gone through to fight, I can stand up and fight a little bit longer. And uh, it's, been, it's been great ever since to learn about that. But it's been hard. What I'm seeing is nationwide more and more first go down. And I look forward to the day, Brent. Listen, I look forward to the day that there's not another first, uh, where we don't have the first entity head that's a person of color, um, which we've yet to have where we don't have another state president that's a first. Mm -hmm. um, I love seeing that we've had some diverse officers. I would love to have the second and the third and becomes normative. That's right. As our country becomes more and more brown, and we have more black and brown people engaging our convention, and as our church plants are more black and brown, uh, it's going to be more and more important for them to see people that look like them. Mm. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, my daughter, when we planted our church, uh, asked me a question. She said, Daddy, why can't we have a church that looks like our family? Very wise thing for a little girl to say. And perceptive. I, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I said, yeah, baby, I think we should. We should fight for that. And I think the SBC wants to, but a lot of times we just don't know how. And getting people of color in those positions to ask questions that are different. Uh, my officers would tell you that the questions I ask sometimes of them are just different because I came from a different perspective as a first generation, you know, as a, a person who grew up in different areas than they did. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a different perspective that still is rooted in Christ. It's rooted in the Baptist faith and message, right? Mm. But guys, it's just a touch different because I'm asking something just a touch different. I mean, that's not a bad thing. It's just who we are. And so I'm seeing those steps happen. It's exciting as, uh, you know, I network with those individuals that are the first. Um, and every one of us say, we don't want to be, we don't want to be the first anymore. We want to be the bottom rung on a ladder. Mm -hmm. So people much smarter and wiser than me can climb that ladder and make impacts. Yeah. That, that, that's the goal. So uh, Dr. Luter now is leading, along with Dr. Ed Litton, another mm -hmm. former SBC president, they're leading an initiative called the Unified Project, yes. which, you know, I, I'm the RLC is a part of. I know there's so many uh, individuals and leaders around the SBC that are champions of this, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, this project is envisioned as a way to serve local churches. Why is it important for local churches to continue pursuing racial unity? Why is that so meaningful? And uh, what would you say maybe to those individuals who kind of look around their communities and like, this isn't really a context where there's a lot of color. Why is it still important even beyond that? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm to, in Missouri, so yeah, I know that mm -hmm. too well, where we have majority of our churches are in rural areas. Uh, but we've made 
we've made race a binary conversation, and it's just not. You know, we, we have Asians in our area. We have Hispanics in our area. Uh, we have people of color that don't like other people of color. This is a conversation that is not binary by any way, but multicultural in so many aspects. And so taking the general aspects of the Unify Project and applying it, applying it to the local church is just so needed. And here's why I would say that. When you look at these generations, um, there's four generations that we're dealing with in church right now. Um, some five, and they're very fortunate, but mm. four in general, right? Sure. Um, when you deal with uh, the millennials and Gen Z, there's two things I know about millennials and Gen Z that make me laugh. Millennials, uh, they will jump in and help anything if it's a good cause, right? right. So you got like Tom shoes and uh, iPhone reds. They're all about like building the plane and then you know figuring out what mid-flight how it works, right? <laughs> and I, and I love my millennials for that. Um, I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, we just want to be real with you. You know that, yeah, that's our whole right. thing. But when I look at Gen Z, they want to know what's safe and what's inclusive. And I know those are words now that are tainted in many ways. Mm-hmm. But when I look at Gen Z, is this a safe place for them to have these type of conversations? Are they invited in? You know, as I work with college students, they always want to know, is this a safe place for me to be invited in? Can I look at it a little bit differently for you? And this becomes a gospel issue moving forward. And here's why. Because they're the ones that are either going to take the message of Christ to the world or begin, and you're seeing this in culture, begin to evangelize the church because they believe we're wrong. And so we have the opportunity to show them, as Southern Baptists, we have the opportunity to show them, hey, we can re- we can look at our past, we can reconcile with that and move us forward. And by the way, this becomes a place where black and brown and white and all the different menagerie of colors can come together to serve a great God towards his kingdom end. But the way that we do that is we do that together. And this is a safe place to have those conversations. Uh, we have to have listening ears for this generation because mm-hmm. they want to be heard. And by the way, they love experts. They love experts more than anybody I've ever met in my life. Mm. Again, Gen Z, we don't trust experts. They love experts, and they want people that are expertise on it. But the expertise when it comes to racial reconciliation right now is not found in the church. And it is critical for us to be able to be that safe place for them, be able to exude a lot of their angst, but also to learn how to move forward. So when the gospel moving forward with Gen Z, I think it's massively important. Okay, that's great. Well, so last question, John Nelson. What, What gives you hope? for the future of our uh, Baptist family of churches yeah. on, on this particular issue. What is it, you know, as, as you went around your state yeah. serving as president, uh, as you go around uh, nationally serving different churches uh, in our convention, what is it that you're seeing out there that, that's giving you hope? And, and you know, what, what kind of charge would you leave our fellow pastors and, and Southern Baptists with? Growing up in Kansas, I learned something kind of odd. I learned that in western Kansas, which if you've ever been out to western Kansas, you can watch your dog run for days, right? It's flat, but there you can see a couple things, right? You can see the storms coming. You can see the storm coming. And Buffalo, if you know anything about Buffalo, they do one thing really, really well. When they see a storm coming, they turn towards it and run into it. Because they have figured out if they run towards it, the storm is shorter. Mm. They run away from it, the storm catches up to them and eventually gets them in the deluge. If they stand still, the same thing happens either way. What I'm seeing is more and more churches act like Buffalo and run towards the storm. They're beginning to run towards the storm and say, hey, how do I get in the midst of this? How do I begin to navigate this so that we can find success in this? And those churches that are doing that are finding uh, fruit come out of it that is beautiful, that are seeing engagement from these younger generations that a lot of churches are talking about losing. They're seeing those engagements. And that is where the gospel begins to move forward. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what I want to see. And the more and more I saw that, the more and more I said, wow. And 
as I traveled around Missouri and I got to preach at all these different uh, small little churches and associations, and I mean, man, I could tell you stories of, uh, they all fed us, fed us well, my goodness, and they loved you, and I'd walk into the office, the pastor would give me his office, and you know, whatever you need, and I'm like, I'm just a guy, you know, but they loved you well, and if we apply that, that same type of love, and uh, really bending over backwards for the brother in Christ as we do across racial lines, and we're willing to listen, because I had so many that are willing to listen when we talked about so many different issues. We're willing to listen on this issue. Man, we're going to see progress that we never thought before. But we have to go in, defenses down, willing to listen, willing to hear, okay, maybe we're wrong here. Maybe we're wrong here. And learn from that. I got a, a 14-year-old now. And um, occasionally she'll sit down with me and go, Daddy, Lenny, I need to tell you something. And I've given her permission to do this now. We're, we're at the age where mm-hmm. she's growing into a young lady. I don't like it, but it's happening. And she'll tell me something about myself. And she'll say, I didn't like when you did this. And here's why. And I've learned as a father, I just need to be quiet and listen to her, to hear her heart. She may not have completely understood what I was doing or how it worked or what happened or even the history behind all of it. She didn't understand all of that. Mm. But what she did understand is what she saw in that moment. And she felt safe enough with me to be able to tell me to my face. If we as Southern Baptists can begin to do that when it comes to this subject, man, will we see fruit that will draw us closer together, that will reach across all these lines, and will draw churches into our convention that are literally parallel to us. Mm. They're parallel to us, but they won't because we're not willing to acknowledge it. If we're willing to listen and just have the conversation, we're not who we were in the past. We're a step closer than we were, where we're not the idea of where we want to be because there are some barriers in the way. Mm. We can get over those barriers together. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, John, uh, let me say I am very thankful after this this really helpful conversation. I'm really thankful for Dr. Alan Branch, for him making sure that you knew about the history of Dr. Luter and that he persuaded you to stay a part of our Big Baptist family. Uh, you're doing good work in Missouri. And I also want to say I'm thankful for your mom uh, and thankful that, uh, that she persuaded you to do the bow tie. I'm rocking bow ties yeah. all the time. So uh, <laughs> you look good doing it. So thank you, John. And thank you for, for joining us here uh, for this conversation. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Thank you.